Hey guys, welcome back to Yesod Blocks. My name is Zev Bannett, and this is the channel for Foundational Transformational Torah. If you want to check this out as an audio format, you can get it on all the podcast channels. Uh, Yesod Blocks is the name over there too, in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Play. Uh, I want to do sort of like a, you know a, a, another one of these, taking something which you've maybe heard of before or spoken about before and unpack it and sort of figure out what it is that we actually know about something. And so I'm just going to start off with just kind of dive right into it. And I'm going to show you tonight what I want to do with this particular episode is to show you how you can get a lot of deep answers to a lot of questions that we have from the actual text of the Chumash itself, the Bible, the Torah itself. And so we're going to sort of use that as a tool in this uh, video to really get an idea of how you can pull a lot of information that is very deep and really we can call it Kabbalah information, um, profound information. Uh, ideas about how human beings work and who we are straight out of the text of the Torah. And the Torah is actually designed for that purpose. So we're going to sort of try to illustrate that here in this video. So the information that I think we already have or that people tend to talk about a lot, and this is very true in the Jewish sectors, uh, we talk about the there's a bunch of main characters that show up inside of the Chomish. One of them is somebody named Yaakov, also known as Jacob in English. And Yaakov is one of the forefathers of the family that today still lives on the earth. They are called Bnei Israel, the descendants of Israel. Yaakov's other name is actually Israel. Israel, that's the name, that's the origin of the name of the land of Israel. And so we are, if you are part of the family of Israel at this time, then you are already, you are kind of the continuity and the descendants of that same family. And whatever that family was about, whatever Yaakov or Yisrael was about, that's who that family is still about today. And they're still doing exactly the same things in the world as we did for a very long time. Um, but the issue with this character, Yaakov, Jacob, is that there's a lot of discussions and descriptions and sort of talk about how we all know that Yaakov is associated with something called the Mida of Emes, which means, usually loosely translated, means like a characteristic of Emes, or Emet, means truth, usually translated as truth. And this character is associated with that. And I want to sort of dive into sort of, what exactly does that mean? that Yaakov is associated with that, because I think that you'll be very surprised to learn that it does not mean what people tend to think that it means. The general assumption that people have about this idea is that Yaakov is this character who is very truthful, very honest, very straightforward, and that's sort of why he's called somebody whose characteristic is MS, is truth. But actually what I'm going to argue to you, and I think it's very easy to illustrate this, is that this, the, whenever we talk about a main character in the Chumash having a certain characteristic associated with that character, so what we mean is, that was the characteristic that this person struggled with. In other words, they were not balanced in the way that they had a particular characteristic. It was difficult for them in this area, and ultimately they took it and became much more whole with this particular characteristic. But their process of life as characters in the Chumash, the arc, as the Torah describes it for us, is that they are grappling with a particular characteristic, trying to get it right, essentially. And then ultimately, you know, getting there at different times in different ways. So just as an example, a short example is that uh, Avram, Abraham, is described as being associated with the idea of what's called chesed. But that means that Avram struggled with chesed. In other words, he had to get it under control. He was very, very open and constantly sharing and violating his own boundaries sometimes with how much he was open and sharing. Yitzchak was the opposite. Isaac, that's his son, was always grappling with being very closed. And he was a general person who did not share a lot and close himself off. And you see that in this, these are all things that you can see in the text. And his struggle was to learn how to balance that with a sense of openness and sharing. But with Yaakov, so Yaakov struggles with this issue of, of what we call MS, of 
you know, seems to be translated as truth, we have to sort of explain what exactly that looks like. What was Yaakov's struggle? And I want to do that just, again, with the text. It's going to be a textual analysis of actual parts of the story. I want to just pick one piece of the story and pull it out and sort of look at it, even though I think there are really many, many parts of the stories that are inside of the Torah that we can use to analyze and understand these characteristics, especially in Yaakov. But I just want to pick out one and sort of dive and show it a little bit, analyze it carefully. So the story describes, uh, this is in the section called Parshas Vayetze, where the story describes how Yaakov um, ends up marrying this girl, who is the daughter of his uncle. And her name is Rachel, translated as Rachel usually. But first, before he marries her, he gets tricked into marrying her sister, whose name is Leah. So first he marries Leah, and then a week later he marries Rachel. And the Torah writes, the, writes out these words. It says, and I'll just, you can follow along if you know where this is in Parshas Vayetze. But the text says that Vayavo Gamel Rachel, the Yaakov now is, he's intimate with Rachel. And Vayahav Gamel Rachel Mileah, and now he, and he loves Rachel, more, like essentially more than he loves Leah. And so then, when he, as a, in the condition of his marrying, that was that he ends up having to live and work for his father-in-law now for another seven years. And then the Torah describes how the following process ensues. Yaakov is now married to two women, Rachel and Leah. And it says, So I want to just stress here that whenever you're reading this text, you have to start thinking about it. There's a couple of tools you can use to get really good at understanding this text in general. One is to think of the stories as if you've never seen them before. You can sort of erase whatever you knew and try to look at them as if you've never heard any of these stories. And the second thing you can do to sort of really get this text rolling for yourself is you can try to sort of think about it as if um, as if you were as if it was actually a real story that was unfolding, and that these characters in the story that they we we should be assuming they themselves don't know the ending. In other words, sometimes we think you know the characters in the Chumash. They already know, they know what's going on. They know everything that we know as the reader. But actually, when you read it carefully, so it's very clear that these characters do not know what's going on, and they're just living their life, and the Torah is showing us certain details of their life that you have to sort of track and follow in order to understand and how you can learn from this story. So what this says here is the next part, Vayar Hashem kisnu aleah. So Hashem sees that Leah is hated. That's what the text says, which is funny, because in the previous sentence, the text told us, Yaakov loves Rachel more than he loves Leah, which sounds like Yaakov actually loves Leah, just loves Rachel more. But then the text tells us that, that Hashem sees that Leah is actually hated by Iftach et Rachma. And then as a result of that, it sounds like something since Hashem sees that Leah is hated. So it says he opens her womb, which means that now she's going to be able to have children. But Rachel Akara, and in contrast to that, Rachel is unable, she's essentially stuck, she can't have children. She's unable to become pregnant. So now, first of all, it's just, it's just interesting to note that process. Like what's happening is that first it describes that really um, Yaakov loves Rachel more than Leah, but also loves Leah. And then Hashem says that, that Leah is actually hated. He sees that Leah is hated. So it sounds like there's a couple of options of how to understand that. Either it means that Yaakov actually eventually came to dislike, to hate Leah, maybe because he's married to two different women and Rachel is sort of the wife that he's very into. He wanted to marry Rachel. He was in love with Rachel for a long time. And now he's stuck having this other woman who's also his wife, who's kind of interfering with his relationship with the, with his love, the person that he loves. And therefore he starts to hate Leah. That's option one. Or it could also be that maybe Leah just feels hated because when you are in a love triangle like this, where you have 
you're sharing your husband with another woman, even if that woman is your sister, sometimes even especially because she's your sister. So in that situation, if your husband loves your sister more than you, you even though you might feel that like he does love you, but the contrast of his love for her versus how much he loves you might mean that you actually feel hated. So that those are options of what that might mean. But as a result of that, so what does Hashem do? He allows he causes Leah to become pregnant. And that's what it says. Vatahar ben. Leah becomes pregnant. And then it tells us that Leah names her first son, the son that she just got, that she just gave birth to. And she says she wants to name him Reuven. She names him Reuven. Why? Because she said, and she was naming him, Hashem has seen my, my suffering. And the word Ra'a is the word to see. Hashem has seen my suffering. And the word Ra'a is the same as the word Reuven. And so she named her son Reuven after her own suffering. And it says, And because now my husband will actually come to love me. So what she sounds like she's saying is, she's first of all naming her son after her own suffering. She's saying, Hashem has seen my suffering. She names the child this name. And she's saying that, that this child is coming to solve her problem, her suffering, that she is unloved by her husband, will now be solved because she has a child that will cause her husband to love her. In other words, now that she has a child, her husband will come to love her more or at all. And so that's how she names her first kid. I just want you to think about that for a second, like in real life, right? Just try to imagine this is an actual story about real people. So now you're a guy married to this woman, and she just named her child, uh, essentially saying the name of the child is you don't, like I, now God is seeing me, Hashem is seeing that, that you don't love me, and this is going to cause you to love me. I don't know if she told her husband why she's naming the kid Reuven, but Leah is the one who actually names the child as she's literally naming the child after her the sense that she has that her husband does not love her. It's a pretty intense thing to do in a family situation to name your kid that type of thing. Then it says, She gets pregnant again and has another son. Same idea. Hashem has heard that I am hated. In other words, Hashem heard about the fact that I am hated. Therefore, he gave me this son also. So in other words, since Hashem heard that I was hated, and the word Shema, from the word, it sounds like the word Shimon, so she names the kid Shimon, Shimon, uh, as a sort of like a, 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 a takeoff of the word Shema, that Hashem heard that I am hated, and that's why he gave me a second son, so she names him Shimon. So again, now you have the first two sons. It sounds like the first son didn't end up solving the problem, right? Because after the first son, she said, the first son's going to have my husband start to love me. The second son she names, Hashem heard that I'm still that I'm hated. So it implies... That at that point, she actually is not know yet. She does not feel like she's not hated. She still feels like she is hated. So she names her second kid now after the fact that she's that, that Hashem heard that she's hated. Again, two very intense names to give your first two kids about the problems you're having in your relationship with your husband. But then look what happens next in the next part. She gets pregnant a third time and gives birth again to another son. Now she says, Now my husband will yilave. Eli. My husband will, will the word Lilave is the basis of the name Levi. The word Yilave from the word Livui means to escort, like a, like a Levaya is like a, is a, usually tra- translated as a funeral. It means to escort. So here what she's saying is, now this time, my husband will escort me. In other words, he'll be with me. Why will he escort me? She says, Ki because I had given birth for him three sons. Alkane Karashim Olevi, and that's why he was named Levi. Here's where it gets a little tricky, and I want you to read this. If you have a Chumash in front of you, you should take a look at this in the actual words and notice what's different here. It's very there's a, there's a, there's a key difference. She says that that now because of this third child, my husband will escort me, and it says Alkane Karashim Olevi, and that's why he was called Levi. But the Alkane Kara 
Notice that in this case, it's actually a masculine language. It means there was a male person here who named this child Levi as a result of the statement she made that now my husband will come to escort me. So what that sounds like it means is that whereas the first two children, she named them after her suffering, the third kid, she makes an announcement. This time, my husband's going to start to actually escort me. And then what happens? The husband, Yaakov himself, names the kid Levi because of what she said. In other words, what does that mean? It sounds like what's happening now is Yaakov's actually switching over and starting to spend more time with Leah, which makes sense. So that's what she's saying. She's saying, now that, I, now that I've had three sons, my husband's going to start spending more time with me because now we are actually a family. Whereas Rachel, Yaakov's love, is actually not giving birth to any kids, but Leah had three sons already. So that's sort of morphing into Yaakov's actual family. And if you look at how that continues to transition, if you look at the fourth son, the next, the next sentence says, again, the same thing, she gets pregnant again and has another son. She says, this time, I'm going to say thank you to Hashem. She names this kid Yehuda. And then she stops having children at that point. Temporarily, she stops getting pregnant. But the point is she has the fourth kid. And then what, is, what does she say? This time, I'm going to just say thank you to Hashem, which sounds like by the fourth kid, she's gotten over the pain and the suffering because now after the third kid her husband switched over to being with her and the fourth kid she can just say thank you i'm now i'm just happy that i have an, i had another child and look what the text ends that sentence with then she stops getting pregnant which sounds like well that's because the reason she started getting pregnant the whole time was because it said that since she felt hated hashem opened her womb and it seems like that was almost like a like a way to sort of help her, a consolation for that. But now that she's past that point, maybe that's the reason why that stopped now. I mean, that's the significance of it saying that now she doesn't get pregnant again in the near term because the, the suffering and the pressure is off. But if you think about that carefully, so what is the text showing us? The pro, there's a process and a, and a progression here through, throughout which essentially Yaakov slowly moves away from Rachel towards Leah as his, as his real wife. And then she has these four sons. And now Yaakov is kind of more entrenched with her. And what does that trigger? The next sentence. Look what happens right after that. It says, Vater Rachel. Rachel sees that she has not had any children for Yaakov. And Rachel is jealous of her sister. That now her sister, why would she be jealous? She's the one who has Yaakov. So it seems like what's happening is now that, the, that Yaakov is spending more time with Leah than he was before, and that's making Rachel jealous. So what does she try to do? She tries to, she tries to push into the situation, and even though she herself has been unable to get pregnant, she brings a third woman, another wife, into the story, and tries to, and that woman gets pregnant and, and as a surrogate for Rachel, and Rachel wants to now raise that child. And what you'll see if you continue reading the story here is that the story escalates. In other words, the next phase is Rachel now starting, she also names the kids about it. She, she essentially is, is in a contest. And that's how she names the second surrogate child that she has. She names that kid Naphtali, which is from the language that she says, Naphtulei Elohim Niftalti, which means I have entangled, I've kind of like gotten into like this sealed conflict with my sister, Gam Yacholti, and I've also been winning. I'm kind of coming back from losing and I'm kind of, I'm succeeding against her, which kind of as the story plays out, these two sisters start to escalate further and further and further in trying to outdo each other with the number of children that they're having. And ostensibly, it's in order to get sort of like more of a hold on their husband. And then what? if you continue reading the story, it seems like that actually uh, degrades the relationship between Yaakov and his two wives. Because ultimately what happens towards the end of the story is that they actually start bartering for him. And it's, uh, there's a language there where it says as if, as if they're renting him out 
in order to try to have more kids so they can outdo one against the other. And so there's a very intense dynamic here going on between these three people. Now what's interesting about all of that is that there's a medrash which describes a couple of things. One thing that we have to notice here is that we know if we look at the end of the Chumash, at the end of, at the, at the, end of the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshis, so you'll, you'll, you'll see that Yaakov is actually buried with Leah and he's not buried with Rachel. Rachel dies on the side of the road while they're journeying back to be with Yaakov's parents. And when she dies, she's just buried on the side of the road. Whereas Yaakov is actually buried with Leah. Leah, when Leah dies and Yaakov dies after her, they're buried together in the family burial plot. So that's one, that's one interesting thing to note. And the Zohar, which is like, a, like one, of the, one of the deeper Midrashim that are Kabbalah Midrashim, so it talks about how really Leah was the wife that was supposed to be Yaakov's proper complement. She's the one who actually is supposed to bring out within Yaakov the aspects of himself that he needed more help, more help with. So she's opposite certain parts of him. The question is, what exactly does that mean? So I want to just add one last detail to that, which is there's another medrash which, which describes that Leah was actually supposed to marry, or Leah thought she's supposed to marry Yaakov's brother Esav. And Yaakov was supposed to marry Rachel, and Leah was supposed to marry Esav. And so it ends up being, though, that Yaakov actually ends up marrying Leah and Rachel. And so if you kind of read through the story, then it starts to put together a very interesting picture of this character that we call Yaakov. And I just want to, I want to just weave that together for you for a second and sort of show you how that sort of answers our original question and premise of this idea about Yaakov having this thing called Midas HaEmes. So Leah is, her, her role is to help Yaakov in his struggle between two different aspects of his character. Yaakov has actually another name, like we mentioned earlier in, the, in this video. Yaakov is also called Yisrael. And the word Yaakov, the name Yaakov, means to be a follower. From the word Akev, which means the heel, which is the part of the body that follows the foot and follows the body as it moves. And so Yaakov, when he, in, in his dynamic as Yaakov, he is more of a person who is a follower. He's not a creator. He's not someone who is trailblazing. He just kind of follows wherever things go. Now, Rachel is the wife for Yaakov, because what Rachel is, is Rachel is his love. He falls, he falls in love with her. And if you think about what falling in love kind of is, so when you fall in love, you can become blind to really anything besides just your, your love and, and immersion in the other person's character. It's a very, almost corrosive type of, of, of involvement with each other. And Yaakov seems to have that kind of obsession with Rachel. And what, the reason why, that, why Rachel is the wife of Yaakov is because that kind of thing, you, you have a very hard time pulling back and, and assessing whether your relationship with your love is actually one of complementary strengths and weaknesses where you can grow from each other and build things. Instead, you're just very involved with each other in a very intense way where there's no way to really see how that complementary dynamic really plays out. So whereas there's the other aspect of Yaakov is what we call Yisrael. Now Yisrael, if you think about what that, that name literally means, it's Yashar El, which the word El means power. So essentially it means to be like a source of power. And to be Yashar means to be straight. And if you're Yashar El, it means to be, basically be to be straight power, which you can pretty much define as, as, as trying to be essentially a trailblazer. In other words, you're trying to go somewhere, you're powerful, and instead of sort of being sidetracked or pulled around or, or, or forced into different uh, deviations, you have somewhere that you are going and you do not follow other people's instructions. You have your own path. And you'll actually, if you think about the name Yisrael, so also the word Yashar is, that, that is like the word Sar, which means to be an authority, like someone who is, who is essentially a leader. And that's why there's another, another writer which describes the name Yisrael means the concept of Shir El, which is the song 
of power, the song of El, also called the song of God, because a, a shear, the reason why the word for song is the word shear, is because a shear is something which is, is enchanting. It's like you hear a song that's a shear, it's a very powerful song. It's one that when you hear it, you're pulled into it, and it's something why you're just mesmerized by the song. It's very enchanting as a song. So that's what the name Shir El means, the name Yisrael. There's all these different um, explanations of the name, which all have this common theme that it's about this powerful creation person who essentially can make things happen in the world, that instead of him being a product of the world, he directs things in the world, and then the world kind of bends in a, in a in harmony and in alignment with, a, with his pathway creation. That's what the name Yisrael means. So looking at these two names, so if Yaakov, the follower, the falling in love dynamic, is paired with Rachel, while Yisrael, the trailblazing creator, is paired with Leah. And that's the reason why the Medrash says that Leah thought she's supposed to marry Esav. Because Esav, originally, the family thought that Esav was going to be this cre the creator person who's going to be sort of like the out... The, the, you could think of it as Yaakov and Esav were two twins. So Esav is kind of like this... Um, you could think of him as like the people person. He's getting out there to like make things happen. And Yaakov is the, is the spiritual, internal, introverted person who's going to be the spiritual leader and the spir or the spiritual uh, energy in the family. And Esav takes that spiritual energy and he puts it out into the world. World. But ultimately, it ended up that Esau was not going to be part of the family in that kind of way, and Yaakov was going to play both roles. He was going to be both the introverted internal person, who was going to be spiritually strong on the inside, then he has to figure out a way to take that internal space and externalize it into the world and put it out there as, a, as an extroverted person who can impact the world as, as Yisrael. So Rachel was the pair, the pairing for the Yaakov side of things. But Leah was the pairing for the power to put the things out there into the world. And so Leah is actually Yaakov's real wife. She's his main wife because Yaakov's struggle, he, his real persona was ultimately meant to be Yisrael. He started off in a more innocent way as Yaakov, but he was supposed to grow into Yisrael. And you sort of watch his progression as he does exactly that, which is why Rachel dies very early in Yaakov's relationship with her. And Leah is Yaakov's wife for the rest of his time. But Yaakov also always struggles with the pain of that loss because that was really the part of, it's almost like his innocence that the, the innocent Yaakov, the spiritually sensitive introvert side of himself that was hurt by the loss of his love on that side of things. But I just want to end off with one last point, which is really to go back to our original question, which is what does Yaakov's Midas HaEmes mean? What exactly does that, does that talk, does that, you know, what does that refer to in his dynamics? So what I want to just put out there for you to think about is Midas HaEmes, it's also called something called Midas HaTiferes. Midas HaTiferes, the word Tiferes means beauty, but it's actually, it, it's, and it's one of something called the Sphirot, the Sphiros. These are Kabbalistic tools, really, that we, that, that we, use, we use these Sphiros to essentially connect to others. And anytime you're connecting to another person, you are using these things called the Sphiros, the Sphirot. So if you ever learned any Kabbalah concepts, you've probably heard of these. If you haven't, now you have. You can hear a little, we're going to do a lot more about these as we go with these videos. But the point for right now is that Midas HaEmes and Yaakov and Midas HaTiferes are all referring to one concept, and it's a Sphiros concept. And it really refers to being genuine. In other words, the re reason why it's called Tiferes, the beauty of this sphera, is that what's considered to be beautiful in another person is not just if they have beautiful looks, but you could have a person who's very physically pretty, but at the same time, if they are not genuine, if they are false, if they are fake, and they are in some in, in this in a fake way, we're gonna explain what that means in a second, then that takes away from their beauty, it tarnishes that. And so Tiferes means being genuine. Now the question, of course, is what does it mean to be genuine? So I want to just give you a clear definition of what that is, and then you'll see why being genuine, which is beautiful, is exactly the same thing as being true, which is you know essentially being real, 
being truthful, it's the same concept. Being genuine means that you're able to take what's inside of you and accurately put it on the outside. And that's a huge struggle for us all the time. There are times that you're very, very oversharing. You put a lot of what's inside of you on the outside and it actually washes away the other person, makes it hard for them to connect to you. And there are times where you're very, very restrained and don't share things that are inside of you. And people feel like you're just too withdrawn and they don't know how to connect to you because of that. And the struggle that we have is how to get enough of our inside into our outside to make it that we are relatable and understandable, able to be received by others. And that's essentially what Midas Hatiferis is all about. And that those two sides, the trying to get my insides to be on my outsides, well, the insides are called Yaakov, and the outsides are called Yisrael. And the idea here is that what Yaakov struggled with was, he was always trying to figure out when to be Yaakov, when to be Yisrael, and he moved back and forth between these things, and he made mistakes. There are times that he, he's super overboard and oversharing, times that he's very, very um, introverted and holding things in, and he, he oscillates between these two things. And so that was actually Yaakov's struggle and his defining characteristic, which is that he's, his life revolved around getting that balance right, when to be int introverted and in touch with his inner spiritual self and sort of turning inwards, and when to take that and sort of shine it out to the world and share it. And so this story with, the, with his wives just sort of shows you the progression, the process of how he was sort of transitioning between these two women and trying to figure out how to relate to them properly, and they also were engaging in that. But I think that just, you know, there's so many more details here, and we're not, we can't do the entire story this way, obviously, right now, but the idea here is to sort of give you a little bit of, a, of, a, of an opening into understanding sort of what the text is talking about and how some of the Midrashim are referring to these same ideas also and to start to begin to really map this out in a clear way. Hope that was relatively clear and that you understood that. And I'd love to hear any questions or comments. Put it down in the comment section. And feel free to subscribe and like and all those YouTube things. And looking forward to seeing you guys in the next video.